episode 16 of the Book of Basketball 2.0 podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by State Farm. Just like basketball, the game of life is unpredictable. Talk to a State Farm agent and get a teammate who can help you navigate the unexpected. You know who's unexpected? The Knicks having their last great moment other than Lynn Sanity being in 1999. We're going to be covering that in a second. Uh, get a teammate who can help you navigate the unexpected. Talk to a State Farm agent today. If you love basketball, on the Bill Simmons podcast, me and Ryan Rossillo and Joe House, we picked uh, all of our all-star teams for both conferences and had a pretty spirited conversation about why NBA ratings are down and a whole bunch of other things. So if you like the current league, I would highly suggest that one. If you like going backwards and if you're a Knicks fan and things have not been going well for you the last 20 years, this podcast, it will be both uplifting and incredibly depressing. It's a moment in time that feels like to me that it happened three years ago or that it happened 300 years ago. And I'm not sure which one it is. We're going to break down, in my opinion, the last great playoff game in Knicks history. It's all coming up. My name is Bill Simmons. This is the Book of Basketball. Oh, like Shaq, Kobe's gonna attack. Larry, she's at three, quads playing that D. LeBron hits him with that steal, and you already feel. Pass it to Luke, yeah, he's gonna juke yeah, yeah. It's a book of basketball, 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 yeah. Patrick Ewing's quest for a championship now continues from the New York sideline. A warrior who has endured so much. This time, the pain has become too great to overcome. Reggie Miller has been unhappy with his performance thus far against the Knicks. And has been unsuccessful from three-point range. But he's earned the reputation of a Nick killer here at the Garden. Can they stop his assault? The Pacers and Knicks are next. This is the NBA on NBC. The 1999 NBA Playoffs. Today. It's the Indiana Pacers versus the New York Knicks. Two diehard Knicks fans are here. Jason Concepcion, who already looks sad. Sean Fennessy. Hi. Hi. And uh, you could say this was the last great Knicks moment. It really wasn't because they win game six of this series and they make the finals. That was arguably the last Knicks moment. I'm going to start with the legacy of the 1999 Knicks. Okay. Um, I have a whole list, but just top of your head, legacy of the 1999 Knicks for you. The probably the most inspiring Knicks team I ever rooted for, but it, I didn't realize that until we got to about this game because they should have been an overdog and they played like shit all season mm-hmm. and they were an eighth seed going into the playoffs and then they just kind of ran roughshod and through the first two rounds and I remember getting emotionally jacked about them winning the title. when this game After this game happened, I was like, actually, this could happen. Jason? Yeah, the last Knicks team that really mattered. They were on fumes at this point, and I had kind of written them off. But 
won six of their last eight to get into the playoffs in the first place. And there was always that kind of sleeping giant feel where, well, if you know, if all the pieces come together somehow and they can catch a rhythm, maybe they can destroy people. And they were like the kind of team that on one night you'd be like, these guys look like strangers. And then the next night you'd be like, oh, this is a title team. And it was the last time that you could realistically think this is a relevant team with a shot at the title. So you didn't feel that way in 2013 with Carmelo. Why are you doing Hell this? no. No, but remember that team had, <sighs> no, I was I, doing TV that year. That team had a run and they were making a ton of threes and Carmelo was playing great. You were always high on that team than I was. I, I was high on that team. And then inexplicably, they went away from the thing that had got them there all in the season playoffs. and had decided to meet size with size instead of uh, go small ball, which had got them there and shoot threes and... Uh, not, I'm not saying they would have been. So this but was I, like, you know, it was the last team that really mattered. This was the last truly beloved Knicks team, I would say. 1999. Now, well, what's interesting about this? Well, who would you have ahead of? Well, them? there's a couple. There were some moments. There oh, was insanity? the first 50 games of Amari and Gallo, and that yes. that crew was I, th- I thought had a pretty high Q score among Knicks fans. Yes, and and Linsanity was insane. Linsanity was truly the only good moment of the last 10 years for the Knicks. The best. Like, I think that's, that's the mountain. I think that's right. It's unbelievable. <laughs> this that whole, is this the greatest gimmick. three weeks of my life. <laughs> <laughs> He's torching like old Kobe and who, who else was it? Listen, Toronto. Here's the thing about the Lakers game where he scored 37, had the spin move against Fisher. Amazing. At that point, he was not taking people by surprise. They were like Kobe oh, yeah. had talked about him before the game. People were gaming for for Lynn and he and he torched him. It was a Friday night on ESPN. It was amazing. So, uh, yeah. I have this as the last truly lovable Knicks playoff run. Let's go with that. Sure. Dolan yes. takes over the Knicks in August 1999, three months after this. I don't think it's a coincidence. Those two things feel like they're at least a little bit related. I'm sorry to bring that up. <laughs> I don't think I specifically knew that. Yeah. So the guy, I was doing research. I can't remember the guy's name, but the guy who was the chairman of, of uh, Cablevision who was running the Knicks, he died of pancreatic cancer. He was like uh, 52. Lund- uh, but yeah, it began Lund- with an L. Yeah. Lundgard. Lundgard. Yeah, that was yeah, it. Yeah. 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 Um, and then Dolan ended up taking over. So that's one thing. Another legacy of this team. That was a really horrible lockout season mm-hmm. that was just despicable. We're going to get into some of the stuff, just how bizarre it was, and they crammed a season in three months, all that stuff. But when I look back in the season, the only fun thing was this Knicks run and LJ making threes and Ewing going down, the birth of the Ewing theory, Spree and Camby, <laughs> uh, them actually somehow making the finals. And other than that, nothing. Like, unless you wanted to say, oh, man, I really love the 99 Spurs, man. I'll never forget not Dunk, even, I'll never forget watching Duncan that year. Like nobody talks about that. Not even a memorable Spurs team in my mind. You know, it was it was I think it was the last time it was Duncan and Robinson together, which yep. I guess is notable. But well, no, it was the last time together when Robinson was actually good. Right. When he could really play. Two thousand three was the same. So another legacy was the Ewing theory, which we'll get into in a little bit. Uh, which twinkle, unfairly was the, tied to him. The twinkle in your eye as you oh, say just, you, Ewing theory. The whole story of it is great. We'll get to it. <laughs> Um, another legacy for me, watching Spree, Houston, and Canby all together, I was like, kind of like this as a foundation. All those guys are in their 20s. Spree had been an all-NBA first-team guy in 1994, coming off the PJ choking thing. Yes. Which is how you got him. Houston was one of the, I don't know, best six 
two guards in the league, best four. I don't know where he ranked. Just, he I never made an All NBA team. Got a lot of feelings about Allen Houston. Yeah, though. and, and then Camby was a top five lottery pick who Live was wire, an upper comer, springy yeah. guy, and kind of seems like a yeah. guy who was the direction where the league was going. And this was the peak of. He'd be a dive guy today. He'd be a big yes. a pick and roll dive. Oh, guy he'd be today. on the Rockets. Yes, yeah. young Camby's Daryl would have traded to first one. This roster in the NBA today would be really interesting. Yeah. Because they'd be playing in a slightly different way, but that like, that long wing shooters spreading the floor, dive yeah. guy like you're talking about, point guards who kind of don't have to do too much, you know, Childs and Ward playing off of each other. Like, there's, it would be an interesting team and it doesn't seem very interesting when you watch them in 99. LJ too had, he had the lower back issue which caused like a massive loss of muscle like in his legs because yeah. it was like that sciatica thing. Recreated himself as a jump shooter was a credible distance threat. Um, kind of like all the all the pieces for a modern NBA team, although they played in an absolutely stone age way. Yeah. Yes. And think, the, the, the thing with LJ, like young LJ on Charlotte versus the LJ in this yeah. game, it's like night and day. I don't want to compare him to Zion because I think Zion's one of the best athletes who ever had, but his game was Zion-ish at right. UNLV it is. and early Charlotte where – he was just this physical force of nature, dunking on dudes and people bouncing off him. And by the time he gets to this Knicks run. Totally ground down. But I, weirdly savvy. Yeah, footwork. There's a lot of head fakes, a yeah. lot of, and any moves in the post, it's all like earned wisdom from getting knocked around for years. But he's he's such an interesting character because he was such a famous basketball star. Yeah. You know, like Grandmama and the Ed campaign around all that. Well, how about huge, UNLV? It was, I think, huge, one of yes. the all-time famous college teams huge. I've ever watched. I mean, it was, and that's pre-Fab Five. Yeah. And, and he was really a sort of iconic player for three or four seasons. And then he gets injured. And then he has, like, I think a pretty credible four or five-year run with the Knicks. But he had, there's not a lot of memory of him as a... Like, as we get older, I don't feel like LJ has much history other than the signature play in this game. Jason's getting misty. Also, just the branding, you know, the grandmama branding was so fresh for the time, like, mm -hmm. to create this, like, character around your playing style as a young player to come in with that. It was really amazing. And just, you know, he was a force. I'm going to say this carefully because of the times we live in. Sean's getting nervous already. I'm good. <laughs> The grandma my thing was the first time I remember the shoe companies being like, this guy is black and yeah. we're fucking marketing him yeah. anyway and kind of owning that piece of it. Before it was always like, they're trying to market a black league to mostly mm -hmm. white people and it's very Magic Johnson and, and the big seven up ads and him yeah. smiling yes. and Michael Jordan and everything's carefully done. And this... Larry Johnson was the first time where they were thinking about it almost like, because the hip hop era is go, starting to take off at the same time. They're looking at him and going, this guy's cool. Let's just own it and sell him. Grandmama was Reebok, right? Yeah. And I, I think he's a real precursor to Iverson. Like 100%. His, pers his persona, who also was Reebok. He kind of paves the way. The gold tooth and the big yeah. smile. Everything. And he, you're, you're definitely right. It was one of those things that in 1985, even, it was inconceivable that somebody would build a whole ad campaign around Larry Johnson. Um, but he's also playing like Medea, you know, like he's right. basically just doing Tyler Perry 20 years before Tyler Perry. <laughs> uh, another legacy of this team. I just totally forgot. So they're an eight seed. They play Miami. I watched the last couple of minutes of that game. They're down three without the ball in the last minute. Miami just chokes completely. Yep. The Knicks choke. The Knicks have the ball down one, 25 seconds left. Run like the worst play of all time. The ball bounces out of bounds. 4.8 seconds left. And then Miami just kind of forgets to cover Houston. 
He sneaks around, hits a shot. It bounces around. I think he would have tipped in the rebound if it missed. And then all of a sudden, they're beating Miami. Miami was the team everyone thought was going to make the finals. The thing about the Knicks-Miami rivalry was the Heat only beat the Knicks that one year where there was the fight and all the Knicks got suspended. 97. 97. That was it. Every other year, the Knicks fucking owned them. Yeah. 99, 2000, 2001. But those were like the worst rock fights. Like as bad, and we're going to talk about this, as bad as the style of play is with Indiana, people were taking threes at least. Versus the Heat, it was it was like Cro-Mag basketball. And it's weird too, because just like that Knicks team, which on paper looks actually kind of athletic and fun, that's a really impressive Heat team. You basically yeah. got Morning, yeah. P.J. Brown. Morning was almost won the MVP that Hardaway, year. Hardaway. Fashawn Leonard, like that was a kind of Dan a, Marley. Yeah, Dan Marley, like that. Those those teams were athletic. They could, theoretically could shoot, but man, every game felt like it was 78, 74. Well, and the backstory for the young ones out there, Riley revives the Knicks in the nineties. They come as close as you can come to winning the finals, basically without winning the finals. Then they lose the next year, and then he splits for Miami, and he's a traitor immediately. Branded, it's a whole big thing. So hold on. Negotiates with the Miami Heat during the during the playoffs while he is coaching the Knicks in the playoffs against Indiana. Ugh. He is secretly negotiating with the Heat the terms of his coming over to be their coach. Uh, it would almost be like if players tried to do that now. But we talk or if like Kyrie Irving knew he was going to go to Brooklyn, <laughs> but he was still on the Celtics. Like that would never happen. Tampering is so much, and and the fact that like teams and players just get away with tampering now. Yeah, but. The Heat were the Heat had to Heat had to give up a, a draft pick and some yes. money to the Knicks, which basically means like we caught you tampering. And it was worse than that because, as you said, nobody was doing it back then. Yeah. The Knicks fans were so upset and took it so personally and felt completely betrayed. But that was a very sensitive time too, because Bill Belichick more or less did the exact same <laughs> right. thing to the Jets. <laughs> yeah, when he shivved the Jets with the you know I resign as HC of NYJ on the on the hotel bar napkin. And then goes to their they fiercest rival. They deserved it. So the player empowerment, the, fuck, the player empowerment era was really first the coach empowerment era. And the coaches did their whole thing. Peter Rosenberg, we wrote a piece about the 1999 Knicks that you can find on TheRinger.com. He one. said, uh, his quote was, I think fans here have been chasing the feeling and attitude of that team ever since. To me, they were just a hard-nosed, gutsy team that defined the way New Yorkers think of basketball. You agree with that? I do because the uh, the Knicks fan psyche is really interesting in that, you know, New York is objectively one of the great cities in the world, a center of finance and culture. And yet Knicks fans, certainly of the 80s and 90s era, are like, we're underdogs. Nobody likes us. We're like the scummy kids in the street just grinding. And it's the Bulls and these other teams that are like the princes on a hill. So it's this weird underdog feeling. And I think with LJ, like a diminished LJ. Yeah. Spree, who was cast aside after strangling his coach. Ewing's uh, injured. Ewing on the downhill. There was this feeling of, oh, we're just these gritty guys that nobody. Yeah, they were the, they were the warriors, like yes. from the movie, the warriors. We're just these gritty guys yeah. with the, a salary cap that's twice the, <laughs> what the league salary cap is. They, but if, you're right. They yeah. somehow pulled that off where they felt like underdogs. And meanwhile, they yeah, probably. Charlie should be playing football. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. So just that, brief that, backstory of just the Knicks, the three decades, okay. 70s, 80s, 90s. You're coming off the iconic Willis Reed, Frazier teams. It dips in the mid-70s. They start chasing these big, high-priced superstars, one after the other. 
um, try to get Spencer Haywood. They try to they get McAdoo. Um, they try to get Kareem. That didn't work out. They try to get George McGinnis. They're always in the mix for whoever the super expensive Draft guy Michael is. Michael Ray. So then they head into the cocaine era. Yeah. <laughs> they end up with Michael Ray Richardson, who's one of the most talented guards of that era and did the most cocaine probably of anybody. They disappear into, into crack houses for right. periods of time. So throw that whole era away. They stumble into Bernard King. And he's this guy who is another guy who did a lot of the cocaine of that era. He's failed in two teams. They trade Michael Ray Richardson for him. But he redeems himself and becomes awesome. He gets hurt. They win the Ewing lottery. And then Ewing, Pat Riley, they have this whole run. Pat Riley leaves. They're really relevant there all three decades. Like what's happened the last 20 years is the complete opposite, I think, of those last three decades. They weren't winning finals after 1973, but at least they were in the mix. I think in my lifetime— to, to, to jump off of what Jason was saying, too, about this 99 team, the signature team of my lifetime is probably the sort of 94, 95 era teams, which I think yes. established a, just a different kind of identity and then made that 99 team make more sense. So much more Oakley, Mason playing alongside Ewing, very enforcer basketball, very slow. Um, John Starks having like incredible Cinderella kind of story working, bagging groceries and then coming into the league. And Mason too. He was like another guy. Same thing. Yeah. Guys who are not who are who are just not elite free agent types. Guys who were not drafted. Yep. And those teams play. They, they were Shakespearean. You know the way that they could never quite get there, and the way that it always felt something. There was always something tragic about what they did. The '99 team, even though they were much more talented in a lot of ways, were more frustrating because they just played really badly through the 50 yeah. game season, and yeah. uh, they, they kind of seem stacked when you look yeah. back at. Like I looked at the the Hawks team. From 99. And that was, I think the Hawks were a one seed or a three seed. They were really. Mookie Blaylock. And it was like Steve Smith, Dikembe. Dikembe At his his prime. You know, and like that, that wasn't really like a great team. You know, that Knicks team had way more talent than that Hawks team. Swept them aside. Well, let's, let's do the background on the 99 season. They have a lockout. The lockout ends in mid-January. Yeah. After, uh. Barkley gets slapped by Oakley. I think that was the turning point. An acrimonious, a lot of acrimony involved in the lockout on many sides and within each side. It was, and also really the last ugly racial NBA moment. There was a racial undercurrent of a lot of it. These guys are making so much money. Yeah, who are these guys? How can they go on strike? And then Kenny Anderson had that whole thing about, it came out he had eight cars and it was just- Ewing at one point said, this is a fight for survival. And that was spun as this, oh, look at this millionaire saying that he's that he's got to survive. People were mad. People yeah. didn't like the direction. I don't think, you know, like a lot of the stuff that Iverson was bringing to the table and that hip-hop influence that was coming to the league, the older fans were like, what the fuck is this? What's going on with that guy's hair? Mm-hmm. It was just uncomfortable in a lot of different ways. That all leads to lockout. They finally settle it. They have to start the season on February 5th. They have to figure out how to play 50 games and an entire playoffs in five and a half months. So you have a 50-game season. You have the Knicks are the eight seed. They're 27 and 23. The, the Miami is the one seed. They're 33 and 17. They're only six games better than the Knicks. The Knicks, as you said, barely make the playoffs. Um, they spent twice as much as the salary cap was that year. Sure. They demoted... <laughs> the, they demoted their That's GM crazy. in the middle of the in, the, in, in April the, in the middle of the season. Who was their GM, Sean? Ernie Grunfeld. 
Ernie Grunfeld. It's all right. He would go on to have a long- <laughs> To ruin the wizard. And not distinguished, but very, very, very long <laughs> and confusing career as as the lead executive for the Washington Wizards. Great fact for this. They demoted him in mid-April after a 73-67 to 67 loss to Philly. That was an actual score in 1999. I'm saying this right now. I would take Ernie Grunfeld today. Over over anybody have I don't over the that. last twenty years. Wow! So the think about does, that. Now he's been a complete sucked for fifteen years yes. for the Wizards. He's tortured Wizards fans for a decade and a half. I would take him right now. It's you don't. That, you don't want four power bad. forwards. It's been extremely bad. So the next season, they play fifty games in three months. Mm-hmm. I was just looking at their schedule because I think the the whole lockout season hasn't got enough credit as being completely insane. <laughs> they played eleven games in nineteen days in February. Oh my sure. god! They played ten games in fourteen days in March. <laughs> <laughs> including five and six days. They played five games in six days. That's just insane. Including a back-to-back-to-back. Um, from, Hard to believe Patrick Ewing got hurt. Yeah. How, <laughs> right? Why did his why does why does Achilles go down? From February 5th to June 25th, when they lost the fifth game in the finals, they played 70 games Jesus. in five and a half months. Um, Allen Houston played 70 games, 2,600 minutes in five and a half months. So just bizarre. Um, and by the time they get to the finals... No Ewing. Larry Johnson's out or playing hurt. He had done something. Kurt Thomas is hurt. They, they're left with Sprewell, Camby, Houston, Chris Childs. A lot of Chris Dudley. Like a mm-hmm. lot. Of, gotta get him like a there. shocking amount of Chris gotta Dudley. Get Chris Dudley. Charlie Ward. Honestly gave us some good minutes. Um, all right. The legacy of game three. Ewing goes down the game before game two, Achilles injury. And this is, he's starting to do this, right? It's, it's his worst statistical season. He was season. good in game one, though. He was vintage Patrick Ewing in game one. Okay. And there was this hope, this feeling that this was the over the hump, Jordan is gone, now is our time thing going on because of what Jason was saying at the beginning of the show, which is like, even though they were so ragtag during the season, throwing, like pulling Sprewell off the bench as your energy guy, like that, he was impossible to stop at times. Yeah. And so if you have Ewing anchoring the first unit and then Sprewell comes on and is just running the break for 12 minutes. They were they were a tricky team to play with. Houston, Spree, and LJ. Arguably LJ. Those are three players offensively that are better than any partner that Patrick Ewing had had to that point. It, I mean, Starks was could, like could give you twenty on a given night, but yeah, he th- could also go like right. one for sixteen. He never Ewing never you had. You don't like that Johnny Newman? Other, no. <laughs> or <laughs> Kenny Skywalker. He <laughs> He never had that other person that you could be really that you was, could really think that that player could score twenty tonight. I was a big Gerald Wilkins guy. I really liked Gerald the, Wilkins. The Jordan game. stopper. Yeah. Gerald Wilkins. Yeah. The, the advanced metrics wouldn't like Gerald's game. <laughs> I don't think as much. <laughs> <laughs> the uh we should talk about Sprewell really quickly because mm-hmm. he's such a big part of this game and he's part of the legacy. He's terrible in this game, but he was, he was yeah. a really, really good player who not a lot of people were watching because I don't even think I didn't get league pass until 2000, 2001. You just in fantasy, you knew who he was. If you had a fantasy team. Yes. He's exactly. exactly like a top right. two exactly rounds guy. Yes. That is probably how I followed it. Cause he had a season in his second or third year where he had like 25 and five. Yeah. And that was pretty important for a swingman like that. I remember when he made first team all NBA, like just being dumbfounded by it. I think I'd seen him play like three times the whole season. Yeah. Like he's, first, he's, one of the best two guards in the league? The first time I saw him, I think, was the Chris Webber commercial 
Nike commercial. Oh yeah, in the barber shop. The one that pissed off Barkley. The one that pissed off Barkley because it's about uh, it's about Weber talking about how he dunked on Barkley in like his That's first right. game yeah. or whatever. And that was the first time I was like, oh, who's Luke Charles Sprewell? So he was a handful. Yes. And then um, decided to choke his coach, and then he left the gym and came back and, and punched him, get, get him and punched him and choked him again. And they decided to suspend him, and this became the dumb. I can't even imagine in the social media area how this story huge. would be treated. And it was how it unfolds is he ends up getting paid. Mm-hmm. They suspend him without pay. The 60. players' union fights for it, and every, all the fans are like, "He choked his coach. He you he shouldn't get paid." And then that becomes this whole legal battle, and they ice him for the whole season. Then the lockout happens, and then he ends up on the New York Knicks. I am and you and you stole him. It was a great trade. You gave up nothing. He was like old John Starks, Chris Mills. That was it. Ernie I, Grunfeld, man. I Ernie. remember when that happened. Immediately, in my heart, I would I just embraced Latrell Sprewell. I did yeah. too. I was of in. course. I I embraced PJ him. was asking for it. Listen. <laughs> We don't know what happened in, the, yeah. in that. In we don't that, know what PJ said. He said, "Well, he apparently said something about put a little more mustard on the pass, and um, then yeah, say that to Latrell Sprewell." But listen, like we don't know the backstory. We don't know all the other, the rest of the context, what was happening. And listen, where's PJ been? I haven't seen him right. on the sidelines yeah. in, in in that time. Last we saw PJ, he was starting Kevin Durant at the two in Seattle. <laughs> yeah, true. Not yeah. what you want. What's he been doing? Not yeah. what you want. So these are great points. You know. Uh, all I know is Latrell then went on to have a nice run with the Timberwolves. Where's PJ been? I just embraced the guy. I was like, yes, this is the kind of competitor that we need. I will say. He was a perfect MSG Knicks kind of he guy. He was, but he, he really was. He really did suck that season. Yeah. Because he well, had basically hurt. taken a, a year off from the suspension. Yep. And he wasn't healthy. Games. Right. And like, if you look at his counting stats, they're pretty bad. Yeah, pretty bad. I so I, I actually researched this. He he. The PJ thing happened December ninety seven. The season next season didn't start till February nineteen ninety nine. So he didn't play for fourteen months. Right. And then he got hurt in the second game, and he missed I guess thirteen games with a heel. Yeah. I think he was just hurt from that point on. Because and then they're playing back to back to backs, yeah. and so I I don't think he was healthy. Yeah. And then Van Gundy had to bring him off the bench. And there's a, like a great quote that I I think I read in our Ringer piece where uh, Van Gunny was saying, yes, uh, Spree has been very honest with me about his feelings about coming off the bench, but I love it. Uh, that's the kind of, I just love that kind of fire, which apparently like Spree is just like, hey, I don't want to come off the fucking bench. But he did. Um, and yeah, to have a sub like that is really amazing. It Slasher. reminds me of when I coached Snoop Dogg in the celebrity <sighs> game. And he was like, coach, I'm going back in. I was like, sure thing, Snoop. <laughs> Sounds like you should go back in now. <laughs> this was uh, one of the last truly great MSG moments. Um, and I would actually put it in hold on, Mozgov, a top 10. The, 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 crowd, the crowd chanting Mozgov's name the, the day before he gets traded. That doesn't rate. Linsanity. Linsanity is great. There was a Marbury moment when he came back after mm-hmm. the trade when I think he, they won a playoff game. Mellow 62. There's some okay There's been ones. some good ones. Yeah, this is way up there. This is a great one. And it also has what eventually became the famous shot of yeah. the wide shot in the top deck of the crowd jumping out of their minds. Yeah. It's what, it has to be one of the best crowd shots ever. Yeah. Sean's getting misty now. I've got Even chills be some watching. Tears. Well, I, I think Jason and I both had like a, really weirdly emotional relationship to 
this team in 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 this playoffs. Yeah. Because nobody had any confidence going into it. So it was just up, 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 up. Like every feeling was ascending up until this game. I was going to say this was the last great Larry Johnson moment ever, but it wasn't because the next year he banked a three to finish off the 2000 Raptors. Larry Johnson banked more threes than I think any player in the history yeah. of basketball. He was the he teller. in this game. Incredible. He hit, him. Was his, it intentional? The, that second three that he hits, is it in the third quarter yeah. that he banks in? I was like, what the fuck it was that? It seemed intentional. It seems like he's shooting it that way. I don't know. Uh, another thing. This was the height. Jason, you're going to love this. Oh, thank you. This is the height of... David Stern, WWE. This run Stern goes on really from 99 to 03 was when he became Vince McMahon. <laughs> you have this LJ four-point play. You have the next year you have Blazers-Lakers when oh yeah, you, the Lakers are just hitting Rasheed Wallace with a two-by-four as he's posting up in game seven. Doesn't matter. <laughs> you, you have Bucks-Sixers 2001. Where the, the Sixers oh, shoot wow. 90 more free throws wow. than the Bucks, It's insane. I forgot about that one. Only yeah, one score. Forgotten to history. Yeah. Uh, you have O2, you have Kings. Kings-Lakers. Kings-Lakers, which was the icon of all of these. Yes. Um, and then I'm sure something happened in 03. But this was really when Stern, Bavetta's just involved. Somehow he didn't ref this game. Nick it must Bavetta. have been a mistake. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But uh, but this was just the peak of that. Was that the Michael Red Bucks team? No, it was uh, Rayon, Robinson, Tim oh, Thomas. Oh, Big Dog. Okay. Yeah, that okay. whole group. Oh, Big Dog. Man. And then the only other legacy for me is I, I actually think this qualifies as an I remember where I watched this game game because oh, yeah, I remember I where I watched this, which means that's a weird invisible line to cross. But I, I, I was at a wedding. I was in New York for one of my wife's friends who played the theme from Armageddon as their wedding song. What? what? I don't want to miss a thing. <laughs> I, what a perfect song to be listening I don't to. I close my Shouts to Diane Warren, one of the best to ever do it. Um, I was in my girlfriend's- No, it's the Aerosmith song. Yeah, yeah I don't want to miss a thing. She Warren, wrote it. Diane Warren wrote oh, it. Yeah, wrote yeah it. Diane Warren wrote it. So it was like the most upstate New York moment I think anybody's ever had. The, the, the couple's going like to come out to Armageddon. That's like the heels of Armageddon. That was, was 98. It's incredible. So that and the LJ shot, I was a great wedding. I'm going to marry you, Carrie Simmons. I was in my girlfriend <laughs> at the time's bedroom. Mm. Whoa. Watching on a little like 13 inch Sony TV, squinting because the picture's bad. I was like, listen, I gotta watch this. And I remember, I think I blacked out for a second when the shot went through, and I just found myself like running the perimeter of a very small bedroom, like around the wall, past the door, past the nightstand, up the bed, down the other side of the bed, and just running in a circle for like. A minute. It is like a, it was like the Dave Anderson Homer was yeah. like that for me against the Angels in '86, where you just you black out for like eight seconds. To left field and deep and down he goes back and it's gone. Unbelievable! How much did beating Reggie Miller and hating Reggie Miller play into this series huge. for you guys? It's huge. Well, the end of this series... Wait, can I just say where I was when I watched this? Yeah, yeah. I think I, I don't want to get this wrong, but I, I this is what I think happened. I was dating a girl. I was in high school, and... It wasn't your wife? It wasn't my wife. I was dating wow. a different girl. Didn't know you dated other women. I, I did date Jesus. other women, Bill. Uh, so I was dating this girl, and we were going together, I think, through May, and we were making plans to go to the prom. She broke up with me in Ooh. May. Oh. And I I think, I could be remembering this wrong, but I think our, our prom was the night of this game. Wow. And it was a Saturday. Yeah. Because that's why I was at the wedding. So, 
and I think that she went with someone else. Oh my god! And I think it was just me and my brother alone watching this game on prom night. Now, it's not that big a deal because I didn't like her very much. It sounds like but, a Noah Baumbach movie. I but I, I'm pretty sure that there was some like I, I was meant to be dumped energy going on yeah. because I could be home for this moment. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Directed by Noah Baumbach. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Wait, oh, we were talking about Reggie Miller. Yeah. So how much did hate, pure hatred of Reggie Miller play into any of this? Well, for me personally, I had I had kind of written them off. 97 to me at the time, like thinking back, 97 was the last year that I was really like, oh, this is the team. They finally got the uh, the players to put around Ewing. Is that Houston's first year? Houston and, and LJ. Yeah. So I remember I was friends with some Knicks fans that year, and there was a lot of— We can beat them We know this. MJ's Bulls are great, but— We can beat them this but. year. That was the last year I really felt that. And then after that, I was like, okay, it's kind of over. Everybody's banged up. Everybody's too old. Like, they're not going to put it together. So this playoffs, I was really like, let's just beat the enemies. Yeah. Like, Miami, let's— Let's beat him. And if we can't beat him, let's get in a fight where, where like, Morning actually gets his face caved in. Like, <laughs> the Pacers again? Great. <laughs> if we don't actually win, let's break Reggie Miller's legs. Right. Like, let's see him crippled on the court. Like, that's what I was about at that time. So beating Miami was probably, like, enough. You're oh, like, oh, we ruined yeah, their season. This great. is the best. Well, the, the, the most satisfying part of this is Miller's performance in the last game of this series. Choke, choke fest. That is, that is one of the all-time choke jobs. Now, it's not, it's not the last time. He basically gets his revenge the next season. Yeah. But that was so gratifying. I think he was like 3 for 18. Yeah. He was game 3 six. for 18. He shot 36% in the series. With, I mean, a, with Allen Houston. Allen Houston kicked with, his ass. With Allen Houston torching, just smoking him all him. over the court. Yes, that was so satisfying yeah. to see that. So, it is funny, the whole Reggie Miller, Knicks, MSG, we fucking made a 30 for 30 about it. <laughs> he basically beat them once out of those first three times. His game seven in 94, he kind of chokes at the end of it. I, he was the yeah. only... I, he, he misses some big, like... I was terrified him, of him, been great. To be, to I know be you're quite terrified. honest. Like, every time he had the ball, I'm like, not ready. But he, the ga- game too. seven was kind of in his hands. He didn't come through. And then 99 yeah. is just bad. I think he just has one that one super heroic, you know, eight-point moment. That one moment that is so torturous. When he had the 25-point, yeah. whatever, the, that quarter, yeah. yeah. But th- those those are burned into my brain. And also, you know, in 2000, like I said, like they went to the finals. But that Pacers yeah. team bounced back, and they were good, and they beat the Knicks. That... that was that the that year they beat the Nets with Reggie doing his Reggie Miller thing to the Nets where he hits the crazy bank three oh, yeah. and then has that the dunk garbage. to send it to second overtime? Oh my god! I no, just, that was that was like oh three oh four. Was that oh three oh four? Yeah. I just remember being like, finally, he's doing it to somebody else. Like, yeah. Don't do it to us anymore. Reggie Miller, poor man's Ray Allen. I'm going with that. Wow. Yeah. Interesting take. I yeah. really, I if somebody had ran on, <laughs> he really wasn't. But if I like, like the take. some like New York City fireman had run onto the court and just banged his knee with a ball peen hammer, I would have clapped. Like I, I really, <laughs> was, I hated him. I hated him too. He was the only guy. Like Jordan, I'm like, okay, you're killing us, but you're like a work of art. You know what I mean? Like you're totally. for, for humanity. They should put your videos like in a space capsule and send them to Mars. Reggie Miller, like somebody take this guy out. Like I hate yeah. you. Yeah, I completely agree. So the series. Um, Knicks win game one, 93-90. Mm-hmm. Game two, you lose by two. Ewing tears his Achilles. Very tough. Secret great box score fact of this game, 40 fouls for the Knicks. <laughs> <laughs> 40 fouls. 
I didn't even know that was possible. Game three, you win by one. We're about to go into it. Game four, you lose at home by 12. 2-2, two, yeah. two, tied going to game five. Game five, win on the road by seven. Game six, win at home, 90-82. Allen Houston, 32 points, 12 for 17 from the field. 90-82. Yeah, and that was like a That a was a high-score game. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that was with a, a shooting guard shooting like 75% from the field. Canby put up 15-9. Reggie Miller was three for 18. Jalen Rose, who we're going to talk about a little bit, seven for 15. Great. Yeah. LJ sprains his knee in that game. For the series, Houston, nobody, nobody in the Knicks scored 20 points a game. Love it. Uh, Larry Johnson, 16 and a half points a game, made nine threes the whole series. It feels like he made like 50. A, a million threes. <laughs> um, <laughs> game three, halftime, 47-42. That's just obscene. Of, and it's a rock fight. Yeah. It was five to four with like six minutes left. And you're just like, wow. What's going on with basketball? Was it always this bad and nobody told us? I knew nothing else, to be quite honest. I was like, this is how it's done. This is this is the formula that we that we crafted that could beat the Bulls. Like just grab people Rock around fight, the neck and ISO. don't let them get to the rim. Yeah, this slow, is slow it down on offense. This is it. Limit the possessions. This is it. Low post on yeah. defense, hit everybody, close lines. It was like what rewatching it was like if I had sat down to watch Avengers Endgame. <laughs> and then immediately afterwards, I was like, I should check out the Towering Inferno. You yeah. know, it's just like, this is not the same. It's a great call. Yeah. Art. It's right. a different medium. Like, whatever's happening in that game is just so far away from how they play the game now. It's just completely different. I wonder, I was going to ask you, do you think it's more different from 99 to 2019 than it was from 99 to 79? Oh, wow. No, I, th I think... If you look at the 80s and all the way through 93, that looks way more like basketball than what happened from 94 to hmm. 2000. Like this, there's like deliberate stuff going on to ruin the quality of play in the game on both sides. Like oh, yeah, yeah. Mark Jackson's walking the ball up. Oh, you have to, two rules. Rule. Yeah. You have these two rules that they've added fairly recently that I think we kind of underrate the impact of them, right? Yeah. Where you have the 14 second after an offensive rebound. There's one play in this game where Mark Jackson gets the rebound offensively, is debating whether he wants to do something, and then just takes it back out and yeah. takes 19 seconds off the clock before he yeah. does something. He would just put again. his butt into people and then bounce it around. Th that 14-second rule has been genius, and yeah. it's really kind of made everybody speed up. And then the eight-second half-court rule is another yeah. one. Because if you watch... Jackson's like, when I say walking up, like walking. he's walking. But as soon, and so is Charlie Ward. And as soon as he gets inside the three-point line, just turns his back on his That's defender it. and bounces and bounces right. and backs him down and backs him down and then comes back out and restarts the offense. It's so slow. So then so the slow. spacing, which we always end up talking about in these NBA rewatchables, it's all clogged in the middle. I was shocked by the amount of low post play on both sides. Um, I'm stepping on what's age the worst, but... Uh, just like really the only play anybody had was like, all right, we're going to post up spree. Yes. Everybody kind of back post out. Up. All right. Everything is a post. It's time up. to post up Dale Davis. Right. Yep. And that was like, there was no, hey, let's, we got Chris Mullen out there. We'll let, run a little like screen shade and then get him a three. Nobody even thought that way. And, and then to make it even more alien to the way the game is played today, very rarely would there be like a player in the strong side corner they just clear the whole thing out right. yes. and it's have empty. that guy yes. in the in the post. Yeah. And then if nothing's happening, someone would run through and then get into the corner and then it'd be outlet pass. But it was like not you're not thinking about that line at all. The three-pointer was like something you'd take with the shot clock running down. 
It's the kind of game you play when there's no advanced metrics yet. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Mullen, it's just like, you know, it's a good play. Dale Davis posting up. There's no let's get it. nerd. I saw, in, I saw Dale Davis. No nerd in the front office. <laughs> like, hey, hey, we shouldn't do this one. But Mullen is such an interesting figure in the game to me, because mm-hmm. especially because in the first quarter, basically, they kind of try to get him going or tries to get yeah. himself going. And he takes a bunch of threes and he's not that successful. And then they just go away from him. And it's he's kind of in the like Chris Mullen's corpse phase. Yeah. Where, like he can't really run up and down Still the floor, can't three, guard though. anybody. But he shot 46 percent from three this year. Yeah. This season. That's crazy. And he was only yeah. taking three a game. If this game happened in 2019, he would be taking 11 threes a game. Well, and then Allen Houston obviously would. Yeah, Same the, thing. The Pacers weirdly had a 2019 team on their roster. They yeah. just didn't play it. They didn't play it. Because Perkins could have played center. They could have had uh, Jalen and Mullen and Reggie Miller and then a point guard and just gone small. Yeah. Five and out, four, four, four out, one in. Big Smooth. Or McKee could have been out there. Big Smooth, really one of the proto stretch guys. One of the first kind yeah, of stretchy guys before anybody knew what that was. He strokes a three in this game that's like a vintage, uh, swish where it touches nothing like he had an ability to hit a three that would just yeah. like dagger you so 22 10 run for the Pacers in the first half Smith has 15 and Walton's just killing him and then it comes out there in the game that it's like oh yeah Smith has a broken big toe and he's got shin splints and they list like nine Rick Smith's injuries and Walton's just destroying him the whole broadcast man Smith's was like I, I always I enjoyed Smith's I, I knew you know I, I liked basketball on an instinctive level I don't think I really like understood it like you know being around smart people that really love the game and really study it now but I was always just like why is Smith's destroying us like why is he so good it felt us? insulting somehow. I was like why Patrick Ewing you're an all NBA player why is Rick Smith's scoring 15 do you think it was just because of his hair and his mustache that's why you're he was so skilled yeah he was yeah. Just he good. was proto dirk yeah he was, he, good. he was using a lot of the same styles that dirk used to be a successful nba player and dirk obviously stretched out and and shot a lot more threes but the, their size the way that they move the way that they can move their body in the paint the way that they could avoid contact he was slippery and he was a real problem for ewing who was yeah. like really athleticism first and, and he was seven foot four, which also helped. Yeah, he was huge. Was- he was a very high lottery pick. I think he was like second or third in his draft. I really liked his game. He's one of those guys that just doesn't exist anymore. I would love to know, like, Rick putting Rick Smiths in a time machine and putting him in 2020, like, what happens? Well, he's probably shooting yeah. a lot more threes. Yeah, he's marketing. The oh, whole yeah. time I was watching him, well, I was like, fun. that's marketing. So, third quarter. 69-69 after three quarters. They run a stat, fast break points, pacers, zero. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. It's Pacers zero. <laughs> no, no fast breaks for them. Oh my God. Yeah. It's amazing we even watch basketball. What made us, the lockout was happening. We all should have been like, yeah, just leave. Go yeah. away. I was looking at the Knicks, like the 98 wow. 99 Knicks, just overall stats. Their pace, 86.9. It was towards the bottom of the league, 24 to 29, but still 86.9, which is a good. 10 possessions slower than the Cleveland Cavaliers this season, the absolute bottom of the league. Like, right. this was just glacial basketball. That right. You'd have, like, Durant with a torn Achilles. You would be at 86.9. <laughs> He's just on crutches. Uh, so, Pacers make a run in the four. 10-0 run. 81-75. Travis Best strains his groin, which mm-hmm. is weirdly important turning because, point. Yeah, yeah. turning point. Um, we go down 314 left. Knicks down eight. Yeah, that did, it looked bad. Big three from Chris Childs. I would say the biggest moment of his career other than when he two-piece Kobe. That's that's an iconic moment that will live forever. Were you a Childs guy? 
I didn't. I hated our backcourt in general. Me too. I was I, like, I these was guys suck. Well, when yeah. I was researching this, I I forgot it was him and Alan Houston the same free agent splurge. Yeah, they spent like he came uh, from the Raptors. Childs. Yes. Yeah. From the Nets. Well, the like, Nets. He yeah. went to the Raptors afterwards. Yeah. Charlie Childs and Charlie Ward were like, I don't, I don't understand. So yeah. we're watching this clip, or we're watching on YouTube. Somebody posts this game, which is how we all watched it. And there's this missing two and a half minutes. The YouTube guy doesn't post anything from Knicks down five. We have no, all of a sudden there's 11 seconds left. Come to find out it's on Amazon Prime. And was able to watch the missing two minutes, which turns out to be Pacers miss, Spreewell Brick, out of bounds, Spreewell inbounds play layup, Miller miss, LJ Brick 24 second violation, Indy 24 second violation takes us to 20 seconds. It's like, a rock fight crossed with a train wreck. You know what it reminded me of? What? The Philly uh, Raptors game seven with the four bounce Ooh. Kawhi shot. Oh. The final three minutes of the game, it was like, can some human being yeah. buy one Make bucket? Any play. Do something. Yeah. Like it was so painful to watch that happen. And this is very similar where it's just complete ineptitude. I, 20 was, seconds left. Camby gets fouled. Could have made the dunk, but got the foul, messed it up. Makes both free throws. They foul Jackson. He makes both free throws, leading to the LJ shot. 11 seconds left. That was the experience of Knicks basketball at the time. Is like They could be up by 5 or up by 10 or down by 10. And you just be like, I know this is going to be a close game at mm -hmm. the end. Because, right. no, but because there's going to be a drought where it goes three minutes and nobody scores. Yes. We're taking a break to talk about FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of The Ringer. There's uh, a big game coming up in the football area. You might have heard of it. It's a large game involving two teams that a lot of people will watch. FanDuel can't legally say the name, but you can legally bet on that game as long as you're in Indiana, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, or West Virginia. And to make the big game even bigger, FanDuel Sportsbook is letting all new users place their first bet risk-free. Place any bet, get up to 500 bucks back in site credit. If you don't win, use that risk-free bet on the big game. You can use spreads, money lines, teasers. Uh, anything you want, or you could just bet the Celtics as they go on a February run, as they're finally getting healthy. Maybe do that. I don't know. Bet or bet on the coin toss of the big game. Whatever you want. I don't. Don't. Don't take my advice. You do what you want to do. Claim your first risk-free bet. Your first and only. Download the FanDuel Sportsbook app from the iOS app store, or visit FanDuel.com/Android and be sure to use promo code BSBook so they know that we. Sent you disclaimer, twenty one plus, present New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Indiana. Site credit nine one travel expires fourteen days after receipt. Terms and restrictions apply. Gambling problem? Call one eight hundred Gambler or in West Virginia, visit one eight hundred Gambler net or in Indiana, call one eight hundred nine with it. All right, first category is most rewatchable sequence. I love basketball. I would have happy to have more nominees, but. <laughs> This was an atrocious basketball game. I really only have the LJ shot at the ending as rewatchable sequences. Am I missing anything? No, it's the shot. Well, in fairness to Rick Smith, who we were just praising, he does have a moment, I think, in the second quarter where he just kind of scores four baskets in a row, where All he's right, just so like we'll in charge of the game. So when he goes full Smith? Yeah, yeah. I the guess Duncan Dutchman? The Dutchman, yeah. He comes through and he, 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 I mean, he's dancing on Marcus Camby. He's really dancing on Marcus Camby. There's a fun LJ stretch at some point when they're breathlessly telling us that he scored seven straight baskets in yes, a row. They're making it the seem like it's does. the Maggio's hit streak. <laughs> it's like, he scored seven straight field goals. Well, they're he, so amazed. He does hit that one 
deep, deep three yeah. in the first half that is pretty electrifying. Where it's, It was a real, like, where, where the fuck did that come from? It's a Steph Curry shot. Let's talk about the the end one. Ward had it tipped. Johnson made a good catch. Johnson is fouled and hit. Uh, are you? Are you? I can see by the smirk on your face that you're about to make some kind of comment about how it was a fandom foul, no continuation. That the, the the contact took place well before the whistle, so why don't you just do it? Just do it. It was an atrocious call. <laughs> <laughs> I have no dog in this race. I actually like the Knicks. I'm not like really sure. anti. Sure, sure, hate, sure, sure, sure. I hate the other New York teams. I just remember my feeling in the moment, watching in a bar with a bunch of people, some place in New York, and everybody was like, "Holy shit! I can't believe this is a four point play." Because it was either, I'm not even sure it was a foul. He grabbed him. It's he grabbed foul. him on the move. It's yeah. obviously a he, foul. He, bumped him. No, he he puts hands like around his waist, and he definitely bumps him. And then there's he takes a few steps, and then takes. I'm the just shot. judging so, it by the rest of the game and how physical it was. I'm not sure like that was the time to crack down, but it did. It just seemed like he had a lot of time I, to gather between the contact I, and the shot. I understand. Fuck this. Being like there's no continuation. <laughs> fine, and it should have been a foul on the floor. Whatever. I'll just say this. Bad calls happen all the time in basketball. Very true. Right? It benefited us, the Knicks, this time. And I make absolutely zero apologies. Zero. <laughs> it happens. The pump fake. Phantom foul called there. Running away from the, the play, Antonio Davis. Grabbed him, but in you're in that situation, what you got to think is the worst I can do is foul and get possession. Goes for the pump fake. Now he's got a hand on him, and he's going to push, and he gets one. This is home court advantage. That's what you get when you play at home. I will say this. It wasn't clearly a bad call. It was It was not. right on the absolute, absolute precipice of, oh, this is too long. <laughs> this is just too long of a continuation. Here's the thing. Indiana had the ball down one with a chance to win. They yeah, win five the game. seconds left. How about and win the game? It's got a terrible shot. 5.7 seconds left. Can Reggie Miller pull out another one at the garden? Here's yeah. Mark Jackson. Jackson, triple team, tied up, got a shot up, no good. New York wins. So it wasn't like. Right. No, here's the thing it was a foul. The end. Do you think it was a foul, four point play foul, or just a foul? It was a four point play because he hit the shot. About five seconds after the foul. It was not five seconds. We're, it was like when we a think second. about this, we think about the instant replay version of the event, not the event. This is the same thing that happens in sports all the time. If you watch the event in real time, it's a foul. But let me just say this, because this is a charge that always gets hurled at the Knicks whenever they get a call. 90, it happened in 94 when they barely beat the Bulls. Well, that was a that, that, that was, was a worse, much Hubert worse Davis call. The Davis one was way worse. That was a much worse call. That was egregious. I'll, I'll just say this. If the league was really rigged towards helping the Knicks proceed in the playoffs, they wouldn't have suspended the entire team in 97. Great point. Like it. There, there's your chance to really put your thumb on the scales in a meaningful way 
And instead, what they did is threw the absolute book at the team to the point that the Knicks could barely field a squad. They had to stretch the the suspensions over multiple games because the Knicks wouldn't have enough players to play in the game. These are facts. Can I make a quick counter? Sure. They didn't want the Knicks to win that year. They wanted the Chicago Bulls to win that oh, year. I love There's, it. I love it. Hey, take out the Knicks that year. <laughs> I love it. They this needed is, the Knicks in 99. Sure. 97, it's like, let's get these motherfuckers out of here. They might beat MJ. Um, it was a foul. I think what's lost is what a great shot it was. Amazing shot. It was a great shot. Because he got bumped. He gathered. It was just, he's Larry Johnson. He's playing with like a herniated disc in his back. It was impressive. Two things. Larry Bird's right next to him. The catch is underrated too because the ball, the inbound gets tipped by Jalen. Yeah. And it was supposed to go to Allen Houston, but it got tipped and LJ just manages to grab it. And now it's a broken play. So like the catch is just as important as the shot. And to recover from being just lightly touched by Antonio Davis for a split second, Davis was a, taking was a the extra guy. three seconds to shoot. Tried to pick his pocket and he paid the price. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> he paid the fucking price by losing the game. How about just, how about just like don't choke, yeah. Pacers? I would say that's one of the maybe six or seven most memorable NBA moments of that decade. It was an authentic you have the jump shot. the fuck out of your seat yeah. shot. Yeah, yeah. Like, the, oh my God, did that just Sean happen. Elliott had one, I think that same year, the Memorial Day shot. Yeah. That was great. Stockton when he beat Houston. It's it's in like the top 10 or 12, but. A couple of Ori shots. Yeah. A couple. I mean, it's, I think it's. Robert the, Ori. I think that was next. That, oh yeah, for Houston, you mean? Oh yeah. I'm just yeah, saying yeah. the you 90s. Mean that time. Yeah, 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 yeah. MJ had a couple, obviously. I mean, there's been some good ones. The but. Houston shot against the Heat and, and the Houston LJ shot. Houston shot's a good one. Those are the only two for the Knicks that I can really remember where I was like, oh my God, yes. Right. Like the Hubert Davis shot, like I exulted, but I also will happily admit that that was a bad call and yeah. I absolutely love it. It was awful. So the guy who made the call in this game was Jess Kersey, not Dick Bavetta. Unless it was Dick Bavetta wearing a Jess Kersey mask. We, Nick, Nick Bavetta as he was ever known <laughs> oh <my> afterward. <laughs> yeah, how have they not retired his number yet? <laughs> Him and Jack Madden. Um, what's age the best? LJ's reaction after he makes the final three. I forgot about the... LJ! This was, what was it? His celebration. His L-shaped, L-shaped celebration. This is the thing that people in New York did oh, after they yeah. made baskets when they played basketball. The funniest, the actual funniest thing in this movie is Bill Walton feigning disgust at the LJ yes. symbol. That and is then, some and nonsense. And then his partner's not getting yes. it. Yes. I think that was a bit, right? I guess. I mean, they, they're talking about it like it is, but I don't remember exactly what Steve Snapper Jones and Bill Walton had Steve cooking Sam- that season. It was a rough game for the, Steve Snapper Jones. The, my memories of Long Island in the late 90s consist of being at the park in the sweltering heat, doing the LJ symbol as like Rough Riders <laughs> anthem plays. <laughs> what a good, a time. It was a good time. Happier it was, time. It was a good time to be living on Long Island. So I have that. The trademark L, which I honestly feel like he might have been the first guy who had a signature move after he made a shot. Because then like the Clipper guys came in a couple years later. Remember this one, Jason? Mm-hmm. Yeah. With that Q and... And, yeah, uh, and you know, do you know what it is? It was I thought it was antennas, is? right? No, no, no. What was it? Testicles on the forehead. Really? Yeah, How did I because know they that? were dunking on people with such regularity. Oh, that, that makes they sense. were dropping the dropping the the nuts on people's foreheads. That should come back. <laughs> do you prefer that to the Sam Cassell dance? Oh, so maybe in, he in was t- Sam Cassell was the first one. Sure. To to directly reference. The male testicles <laughs> on court. Yeah, yes. he's in the balls of fame. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> so, but Sam Cassell, that was the first signature. I've done something good, and here's here's my little pre-rehearsed thing on it. Yeah. And then LJ is like, "Hey, so my first name is Larry. That starts with an L. I'm gonna do this." Yeah, and now we have like three goggles it. and things like that. Um, another what's age the best skinny Mark Jackson and Jeff Van Gundy with hair. That was, well, kind of disorienting sort of. Hair. Well, it's like he's yeah, spaghetti yeah. move maneuvering it around and it looks like a hair. That day. was jarring to see Mark. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Look at him. Looks great. I gotta say, I liked his game. Such he's, such a New York basketball such player. Such like yeah. classic. Such a like street court. Always like, annoying guy. when he yeah. scores oh against God. your team. You're yeah. like, fuck, yeah. God. Weaving in and out. Yeah. Impossible to guard. Perky big jerky. body. Yeah. Like he's, all guile. Uh, yeah. Good fun. Seemed fun to play with. Couldn't guard anybody in the other end. No. Larry Bird is a coach. Yeah. Always fun to see the I legend. I forgot he was the coach of this team. Yeah. yeah. Standing right next to him. I like the Davis brothers. I think one of my first running jokes ever was uh, about. You should be able to draft them together as a fantasy team and call them Del for your fantasy team, call them Daltonio Davis. It should be somebody you could draft and uh, merge their stats. They were but good. they kind of they fit together. Yeah. They're two guys that would never be on the same team in 2019 because you wouldn't be able to play them together. But back Re then you could. Reggie and, and Rick needed them yes. to enforce. Yeah. Um, another what's age the best. Bill Walton complaining about lack of ball movement and too much low post stuff ahead of his time. Yeah. Over just face him up. I don't understand Step why outside. Sprewell's posting up. He should be taking this guy off the dribble. What's he doing? He, he was right. He started talking at one point about how he knew when he joined the 86 Celtics that he would be like fourth on the totem pole. And that's yeah. what that's what the Knicks, Sprewell and them needed to understand. You're not gonna be the main guy. When you I joined the Celtics, I knew. I would not be getting the ball. <laughs> Just get to the weak side and rebound. <laughs> Just work harder, Latrell. I feel like you guys are doing Orson Welles. <laughs> As Bill Wells. Uh, Rick Smith's 25 points, 24 minutes. Have to mention that. What else? Anything else age the best for you? Um, Was it good seeing Jim Gray again? Marcus Camby's tattoos, nonsensical uh, <laughs> Chinese tattoos that apparently are actual words, but together don't mean anything. Like yep. I think one means tribe and the other means family, but those two words together would not be a sentence. <laughs> like, pretty amazing. I remember that. And that was really the the heyday of basketball fans coming to grips with the tattoos, but then also really being genuinely interested in mm -hmm. what they meant. So the can be Chinese thing, I was in conversations about, I wonder what those mean. And then there's no Google to find out. Did we have free Google, Google in 1999? No, free Google. Like, I don't think I was on the internet, like, at all that summer. There's no way to know unless, and somebody, you could be at a bar and somebody be like, those can be signals or symbols and just make up a story, you'd believe it. How would you know? He just wasn't a bright guy. I had two, I had two, two that, things okay. that I liked from the broadcast. One was, um, there's a sideline interview with Derek Jeter where oh, Jim, yeah. Jim Gray tries to neg Derek Jeter by saying, you know, the Yankees haven't been playing that well. You think you're going to the playoffs? And Derek Jeter's like, yeah, we're going to the playoffs. <laughs> Like blank, flat. Like, yeah, of course. I'm Derek Jeter. No question. That was incredible. Incredible. I like stuff. How his hair too. Really great. The old school young Derek yeah, Jeter yeah. hair. Hasn't yeah. hasn't lost it all yet. And then the other one, well, there's actually a couple of them. one. Jeff Van Gundy's drinking a diet Pepsi in the middle of the game. Yes. You, did you see that? Yeah. I didn't see that. It's crazy. After the shot, there's a there's a shot of him after the LJ like a shot. Can? Yeah, like yeah, can wiping his wiping his forehead like this and placing the the can down on the score. The product placement. So yeah. weird. Yeah. And then the third one is amazing wait moment to look at Patrick's face after the LJ yeah, shot where he's like can't believe it is excited but also 5% I 
I can't believe inside. it's not yeah, me. Yeah, I wish I, I, should, I, I wish I was. I'm there. not there. Also, can't jump because he's got a torn Achilles. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's like kind of half-heartedly hugging Herb Williams, yes. and he couldn't know that within 18 months he would never be a Nick again. Next category is special just for this podcast. It's a 1999 hair battle. Oh man! Our nominees are Chris Mullins' buzz cut. Rick Smith's, Smith's Dutch mullet and Spreewell's whatever the hell was going on with Spreewell that year. Uh, what it, what was the most 1999 for you? Well, the the buzz cut, Mullen's buzz cut was kind of like, that was really a throwback to like the 50s or the 60s yeah. or early yeah. 60s it felt like. Now if somebody had that, you'd think they were like a white supremacist or something. You would just be completely I would definitely steer. It. I'd be like, is that you, Richard Spencer? I'm going to steer clear. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess it would be Spree and Big Smooth. You know, that was like really the look of the era. It's pretty great. It's that pretty was what it was called, Big Smooth? Uh, Sam Perkins. Oh. Yeah. They both had the cornrows. But what was that? What was that? That it, was like more was than like cornrows. It was just braids. I think it was braids. braids. I was it like, was man, cool. that's a, that was a great look. Yeah, Spreewell has an iconic look. Iconic. With the he's braids great. flying as he's coming in. I the, really appreciate the, the spree, spree so much more in 2019 than I did in 1999. His whole look, his coach choking vibe. I'm just really into it. <laughs> There's really a fun. dangerous aspect to him. Yeah. What's age the worst? Uh, we talked about back to the basket, slow down, no pick and roll, just horrible basketball. Reggie Miller's age the worst just in this game. Chris Dudley? Oh, man. The game starts and Chris Mullins defending Chris Dudley and Walton's like, we knew the Knicks were, or the Pacers were going to try this. Like they strategized how to defend Chris Dudley. I'm pretty sure you could put anybody on him. I had Jim Gray interviewing Derek Jeter for what's age the worst. Oh, I loved it. I thought it was no, hilarious. No, no, just... Just it's age the worst for Jim Gray. Yeah. It's a, it's it's a tough one for him. He comes in hot. <laughs> Jeter swats him away. <laughs> like Jim Gray is probably like, well, the good news is nobody will ever see this game again, and right. then not knowing YouTube's coming. Man, Jim Gray, if only he would have uh, known that that would not be the first time he'd talk to a superstar player in a one-on-one -on -one situation in a way that would be <laughs> right, detrimental right. to his career. <laughs> <laughs> the Yankees had won two of the last three World Series, and I think they ended up winning like 100-plus games that year. And Gray's like, are you worried? You might not make the playoffs. And Jeter's like, what the fuck are you it's talking June about? It's June 8th. <laughs> what? Let me ask you this. Does Chris Dudley even play in today's NBA? Does he come in? No. Like, he doesn't even get drafted, no way. right? No. Also, not, unless not he's making 42% from the free throw line either. You yeah. You can't have him. Yeah, especially now with the chest hair. Six rebounds and like... 1.2 blocks a game? Does I mean, that guy he, make wouldn't the have, league? he wouldn't have been playing if if Ewing didn't get hurt. Yeah. You know, it would have been like a sprinkling of Herb Williams. That's what you'd have gotten instead. The other what's age the worst, which you texted me last night, was when when uh, Kurt Thomas missed a layup and Walton said, was that Kurt Thomas or Charles Smith? It was, was just like a classic on, too soon. Just like a stray shot. Yeah. Like, fuck it really was. On. It was like you a stray, stray bullet. It's just only been though. six years at that point. It still hurt in 2018. Yeah. Any other what's age the worst or we cover everything? I think that's, yeah, that's good. It. That's okay. it. Uh, all right. Next category is called half-baked big picture take <laughs> where I give you my half-baked big picture take and you guys re react. Alan Houston, Clay Thompson in the wrong era. I, he was better than Clay. I mean, he can handle. <laughs> I mean, like it, offensively, offensively, he was better than Clay because he could actually handle the ball and dribble a little. He had good footwork. It's hard to say. He hit a lot of big shots and he came up short in a lot of moments too. I, I found him to be unreliable. Defensively, he was an absolute disaster. Yeah, but I offensively, also, great player. But he was not a playmaker. 
He was oh, a yeah, he no. was he was a good ISO player. He was weird, and he was good catch and shoot. Okay, yeah, that's weirdly let me take a little lumbery back. for his frame. I, I feel like Clay is more athletic. He had a six stroke though, like his shot. I'm gonna take was that awesome. back. You're right. Now no, that I like that. I think you're the guys. Let me say this. Came from the heart. Let me say this about Allen Houston. He was the king of like the twenty zero 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 and exactly. zero stat line. Like he twenty points, zero rebounds, zero assists, zero. Blocks. So I have all his stats. The year after okay. two thousand, he was twenty three and three every day. But <laughs> three what? <laughs> three assists, three rebounds. His percentages were 48, 44, 84. He was 44 percent shooter from three. Great shooter. Took Great three shooter. threes a game. Made I mean, 1.3. But that was the era. Oh, 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 three. Just the averages. 23 and three. 45, 40, 89. Mm-hmm. Not in the ballpark of 50, 40, 90. Uh, only took four threes a game. You know what I so think? The when thing I- is, like, if if he's in 2019. He's taking 11 threes a game. Yeah. You know His what I, whole game is different. Oh, yeah. You know what I think when I hear those stats is make that guy the highest paid player in the NBA. <laughs> they give him $120 <laughs> yeah. million? Oh, Yes. Pay him now. That's actually, that's just, that's the baggage I'm carrying. Yeah, it's that, not that he wasn't a issue. good, he was a good player. Yeah, he, and he was a good Nick. Yeah. But he, th- he is seen as the person who kind of torpedoed the next four or five years of that franchise because of that contract. How many All-Star games do you think he made? Oh, three? One? Two. Two. Hmm. How many all NBA teams? Zero. Zero. Was he a 2000 gold medalist? Yes. 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 Okay. Those are his highlights. I do think, though, he's a classic way too early guy. Mm-hmm. If he comes in now, if 1996 Allen Houston comes in the league right mm-hmm. around now, everybody's like, oh, hello. Here we go. We've been looking for this guy. And he's just jacking threes. I mean, and 44%, every- 44% from three is legit. Yeah. Pretty good. Oh, amazing. He was a great shooter. Let's take a break to talk about some of the sports podcasts on the Ringer Podcast Network. First of all, we have the Ringer NBA show, which has been going going strong for, I think, the fourth or fifth straight year. But JJ Reddick's podcast is back. He has co-host Tommy Alter with him. We have Vince Carter winging it with Andy Finberg. Joe House, fairway rolling, came back. I actually made an appearance on that one. My, uh, my first 2020 appearance that and then the Ringer NFL show, which will get you caught up all the way until the big game. And then finally, the Ryan Rosillo show and Against All Odds with Cousin Sal. Those are all of our sports podcasts right now, unless you count wrestling. Then you can throw in the Masked Man with David Shoemaker in there. But check out all of our podcasts on Apple or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And by the way, if you like this podcast, and I hope you do, feel free to rate us and put some Good comments in in Apple because apparently that makes people's feelings feel better. I know nephew Kyle loves it. Uh, You can do that for him. So there you go. All right, back to the podcast. Some half-assed internet research. We'll start with Alan Houston. Um, His legacy became the Alan Houston rule. Yes. In 2005, the NBA agreed on a new CBA. They included an amnesty clause provision allowing NBA teams to release one player without his contract counting against the NBA's luxury tax threshold. (laughs) They named it the Allen Houston rule. That's great. And then the Knicks didn't use it on Allen Houston. That's a weird thing. They used it on Jerome Williams because Allen Houston told them he was going to retire, which then he took another year before he actually retired. It's hard to believe, but Isaiah Thomas was outwitted. I hate the Knicks so much. Yeah, it's it's very (laughs) tough. Let me ask you this. If you had a rule, would you call Allen Houston, like, wouldn't his nickname, shouldn't it be Rule? If I was hanging out with Allen Houston, hey, Rule, what's up? (laughs) Do you need a coffee? Anybody need a coffee? Rule? You need anything? 
that, that I call him Rule. That nickname has kind of fallen away. I feel like we don't hear it that way anymore. But that, for the next five to ten years, you you heard that all the time. Would you want to make a hundred and fifty million in your career, but the catches for the rest of your life? You're named after a rule where if a guy is so bad and so overpaid in your team and they wave him, it's named after you. What do you think? Probably yeah. take the money. Uh, yeah. 100% right. take, take the, the money fine. too. Um, LJ said there's been probably 1.6 million people who come up to me and told me they were at the garden that night. I asked for a ticket stub now. So it's turned into one of those games for mm. the Knicks. LJ, I was there that night. Don't say that to LJ unless you were actually there. Do you know who the Knicks traded for LJ? Uh, 1995, 96 range? Is it, is it, I have no idea. No, I don't know. I'm trying to think what Knicks won. So in the same summer, summer 96, they trade Anthony Mason and Derek Harper for LJ. Oh. Who was available because he had seven years and $84 million left on his contract. <laughs> so hard to believe Charlotte was able to <laughs> give him up. And you spent $90 million on Houston and Childs. Um, Sending did, Anthony Mason to Charlotte is cruel. Yeah. That did guy's you know New York, New York forever. That during the 1999 finals... Larry Johnson described the Knicks in their phenomenal inspired play as a band of rebellious slaves and that it didn't go very well and caused a two day. Um, yeah, I do. That wasn't that. great. Did you know in 2001, Alan Houston signed a six year, hundred hundred point four yes, million dollar contract extension. I did know the that. The Knicks. Okay. <laughs> did you know in 2001, Houston and Charlie Ward were quoted in New York times magazine. Yes. I make comments yes. deemed anti-Semitic. They were anti-Semitic. After Ward called Jews stubborn and persecutors of Christians, Houston cited a biblical verse in support of Ward's comments. This is one of those, imagine if this happened now, I think sports my, stories. My favorite thing about reading that story today, and I've read it semi-recently, maybe within the last two years, is that um, you know this came up, the Knicks apparently all went to a church together, a Bible something. They would get together and, yeah. and read scripture. And there's a mention of like reading scripture off... Uh, uh, Charlie Ward's Palm Pilot. I guess they had, and I was like, man. Wow. Palm Pilot? On the Jesus. Palm Pilot. I just want to say for the record that I never liked Charlie Ward. <laughs> <laughs> he, he played for the Knicks for 10 years. That is is that possible? 10 that's, years. That's amazing. Oh my God. And Heisman he, winner Charlie Ward. Let me tell you something about him. Forget about him being an anti-Semite, which is deplorable. He sucked. He's not good. <laughs> he was not good. He's not good. His, he, he was good at one thing, the drive to the basket, subtle dish to the big man for a layup. That sure. was like really the only thing. That was, but the, that was just because he knew how to shovel pass from playing college football. True or false, Larry Johnson declared for bankruptcy at some true. point. It must life. be true. 2015. He keeps coming to the garden, so that's, that's yeah. yeah. Um, all right, next category is greatest what if sliding doors moment. Oh, man. LJ making that shot was actually the downfall of the Knicks. And I'm going to explain to you why. This is from a piece in the New York Times written in 2002 by Chris Broussard. Ooh. Hey, now. Yeah. Um, the seeds for the Ewing trade were planted when the players, the public, and even Dave Checkett's president of MSG, began thinking the Knicks were better off without Ewing during their run to the 1999 finals. Ewing, angry over the lack of respect he received and aware that the Knicks would not extend his contract, demanded a trade. The Knicks sought to satisfy him. They were afraid he would be disruptive if he was brought back for one more season. So they accepted a package of aging, injured, ill-fitting players with long-term contracts, totally 90.4 million, 
rather than keeping you around and chopping 16 million off their payroll yeah. after the 2000, 2001 we season. We call that the original sin of Scott Layden. Yeah. Right. It gets worse. Um, they thought they could get to Kemba Matumbo, was one mm-hmm. of the reasons they, they did, did this eventually. Trade. Yeah. David, <laughs> wow. David Falk, the agent for Matumbo and Glenn Rice, never told the Knicks he would deliver Matumbo. The Knicks knew that taking care of one of his clients would not hurt in the pursuit of the other. So after they made the Ewing trade, they gave Rice, who was 33, a four-year, $36 million contract. Rice's only other option at the time was a one-year, $7.5 million offer from the Chicago Bulls. The Knicks were so focused on getting Matumbo, they were willing to look past Luke Longley's poor health and six-year, $32.4 million contract and agreed to accept him in the Ewing deal. And then it fast forward later. The Knicks took another gamble last summer, miscalculating the health of Charlie Ward, your least favorite Nick compounded the financial repercussions of the Ewing trade by sending Rice to Houston in a three-team deal for Anderson and Isley because Rice was unhappy. Oh, Isley. Isley had six years, $36.6 million left on his deal. On top of that, the Knicks agreed to give Anderson a six-year, $42 million deal. Adding in the seven-year, $22 million contract to Travis Knight from the Ewing trade, the Knicks took on $137.4 million in contracts for players they acquired through Ewing. Ewing had just sought a seventeen million extension for two years. I, so, I mean, I, have so I forgot much to how say. unbelievable that was. That uh, is the all-time train wreck clusterfuck, maybe ever. If you want to know why I have always been a supporter of the process and the concept of the process, yeah, it's because of those teams. Basically, the New York Knicks from two thousand and one through two thousand and eight or nine, which was probably the most torturous time I had. The NBA almost lost me during that time because it was so hard to watch those teams which were so frustrating and then they compounded move on to move you know that that led to Marbury and it led yeah. to Stevie Franchise and it led to a lot of acquisitions it was a game years. of Jenga but if Jenga was just falling over every time exactly and it was like a never ending falling tower like it was falling for <laughs> 15 like, how does consecutive this Jenga tower years keep falling? Uh, I, I just despised almost all of those teams That's I had such a hard tough. time with that and it, it all is completely connected to just instead letting I think Ewing's contract was up in 01 and if they had just let his contract expire, they basically would have had a clean slate. Yep. They would have had like another year of LJ and then they were clean. So Jason, LJ misses the shot. Ewing's feelings don't get hurt. They end up not moving on from Ewing. And none of this happens. I still is think it, this no. whole thing different? No, it's not different. Or you just Dolan think is still the- there and they still make it. They'll still if they don't make that specific terrible move, they would have made some other terrible move. In service of trying to shortcut a finals appearance and a championship. Like, it is they just funny would how, have done it. It's they would funny have done how these something. teams had no concept of how the salary cap and cap space worked or how it was a strength or an advantage. And they treated it like if I gave my son $100 to go spend at the mall and he would just spend it immediately and then had no money to like get home, buy food, buy drink. It, That's kind of how NBA teams were in 2000. My understanding of the salary cap is completely born out of the Knicks. Mm-hmm. How bad they were. Yeah, the, yeah. the Knicks bur- setting money on fire. I didn't, that was not, the salary cap was not a thing I ever thought about in 1999. It wasn't until like, oh, let's give Eddie Curry a bunch of money uh, that I started to be like, wait, can we, wait, how are we to do it? But look, the one thing that the original premise of that scenario that you're describing is the Knicks feeling like they were better without Patrick Ewing. And here's why that is an absolute nightmare of an idea. And whoever was in charge of that idea should be, should be jailed. Uh, <laughs> the Knicks win game one of the Pacers series in Indiana. Yeah. And they're winning in game two. And then Patrick Ewing gets hurt. 
And then they win this miraculous game three, yeah. which really should not have been a win. Now you play that game a hundred times. They probably lose 98 times yeah. because of all the wild shit that happens in the game. And then they eventually succeed and they win in six against this Pacers team, which is a flawed Pacers team. Then they go and they play the Spurs. You know who would have been nice to have oh, yeah. had Patrick to Young. face David Robinson and Tim Duncan is fucking Patrick Ewing. I think they lose in six or seven, but like a healthy Patrick Ewing against that team. It, different it, series. It's, it's a different series. The DN, so conceivably the LJ shot doesn't go in, maybe. I mean, Dolan's, You're right. Dolan still right, took so over Dolan, is okay. the issue. Deion Waiters award for best heat check, Larry Johnson, 26 yeah. points. He makes three crazy threes, 30-foot three at the end of the first quarter, banks a three, and then the four-point play. Nerd corner, just quickly. The Camby Oakley trade was pretty great. He somehow had a 25 PR in the playoffs and shot 57%, 10-8, two blocks a game. But when that trade happened, everybody was pissed, Jason. Yeah, because you, everybody was like loved the Oakley. beating heart of that team. Um, so it was like, oh my God, what? But it wasn't too long before, I mean, like Camby had a very up and down season, but like the athleticism on display was like nothing that I had seen in a Knicks uniform to that point. I think of him as a good Nick. Yeah, me too. Wow. He Why? had a dunk on, on Dikembe in, in the Hawk series that was like tore the house down. Yeah. Like straight up just came in straight from the foul line and just spiked it one-armed over Dikembe and it was like, oh my God. I was enjoying him. And Oakley was at the end too. Yeah, it's Oakley not like finished. Oakley was, was like in his prime or anything. Yeah. I just wanted to mention Chris Dudley's 1999 really quickly. Great. 44% field goal, 48% free throw. He's a member of the 40-40 club. Oh you don't see God. it too often. Jesus. Uh, in the playoffs, he played 16.3 minutes a game and had 3.5 fouls a game. I mean, that's why he was there. So it's there just a foul. Yeah. Uh, next category, you'll like this one, Jason. Best chemist. Best chemistry guy <laughs> on the sidelines. It's the one, the only Rick Brunson. Oh, my oh God. yeah. He invented the L gesture during the lockout season in practice after LJ started making threes. He was the one who came up with Unbelievable. the L. LJ took it, and then Brunson was like his sidekick doing the L on the sidelines. <laughs> there it is. Rick Brunson. Congrats to him. The Tim McCarver Memorial Broadcast Team Complaint Corner. It's another category. The, our team was Tom Hammond, Snapper Jones, Bill Walton. An incredible amount of Bill Walton. Bill I thought it was a 2007 Westbrook level usage rate. I just oh, couldn't yeah. believe it. No yeah. producer told him to scale back. Uh, this is probably my hottest take, but I've always liked Walton. Me too. I've Me always too. liked him. I'm as just a saying it was it was a lot of he's Bill a, Walton. He's a lot of him, but like he's a handful he does know a lot about basketball. Like yeah. I do feel it's an, it's a little. He's annoying. There, there's no doubt about it that he's kind he of just annoying. Just needed to scale it back. It yeah. would have been great. But he is. Analyzing the game, and he's he's serving up takes. He's he serving had, he up like takes. coward level takes, uh, takes in the broadcast. Yeah, he was saying like Latrell Sprewell's been awful in this game. He's been awful. <laughs> yeah, he's and like nobody says guys. that anymore. Yeah. yeah, I mean, listen, anybody that can tie in Grateful Dead references <laughs> to basketball. You know what the Knicks gotta do right now is they just gotta like Jerry Garcia said, right, right. keep trucking. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, a loser in this broadcast was the snapper. Who I always Steve really snapper. liked, but had a lot of like Nick's down five, two minutes left, coming out of timeout, and the snapper would be like, they got to get a basket <laughs> here, guys. It was a lot of that from the snapper. He did game six. Snapper did game six. He's a good example of a nickname can go a long way, Steve especially snapper mysterious. Jones. Nobody yeah. knew why he was the snapper. <laughs> we can um, extrapolate on that one. 
Apex Mountain. I really can't think of anybody who was Apex Mountain in this game, which is mm. one of the weird things of this game, other than maybe Bill Walton as an announcer. Mm. But other than that, everybody in the um, Knicks is either not quite there yet or they were Van past Gundy? or whatever. That's oh, a good Van Gundy. Perfect. Van Gundy in this playoffs was ice. Can we say Van Gundy with hair? For sure. You know, the other to go back to the to the theme of the Knicks as like these grindy guys who kind of like shouldn't be there or were, the, were on their second chance. Van Gundy was very much that like they brought in Don Nelson, you know, so like they. Riley exits, right? Yeah. Van Gundy's on the staff and he coaches a couple games. Then they bring in Don Nelson. It's an absolute disaster. And Van Gundy kind of hangs around, hangs around for multiple seasons. And every single, it it seemed like every month there was like, oh, are they going to, is who are they going to bring in to finally be the person that coaches the Knicks? And it was, and Van Gundy always seemed to be on the verge of getting fired. And hung around. Liked him. His interviews are even good during the game. Yeah. They're, they're coming out of timeouts, and he's doing it. It's like, oh, that guy could be on TV someday. He was a perfect New York head coach. Yes. He had a kind of candor and a kind of abruptness. He was like, he could have been a guy who was an extra in an episode of Seinfeld, and you would have bought it. Like, he just looked the part. My only other Apex Mountains, Chris Dudley, Rick Brunson, <laughs> and the Davis brothers. This was like kind of peak Davis brothers. I think they might have even traded Antonio within the next year. They traded Dale. I think they broke them up after this. They season. had a couple of moments, though, in like 96, 97, where they were just bombing 12-footers over the Knicks and just breaking my heart. <laughs> like, they, 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 like Smiths, like Reggie, they, they killed us at times. Yeah. So, funniest in-game network promo. They promo the French Open final. Mm-hmm. Andre Agassi and some dude named Medvedev. Oh, Hell yeah. yeah. They were fired up yeah. for that one. Was yeah. it Sergei? That yeah. happened. Hottest retroactive take that I wish I had had in the moment. Clearly free Jalen Rose. I don't know. We got to talk about this, not just because he's my friend, but it's kind of unbelievable that he wasn't playing 40 minutes a game in this playoffs. Well, Every he, time he, he stuffed Spreewell, yeah. I think three times. He could create shots for other dudes. Who's he takes, who, who does he take minutes the, from? They, That's the issue. But they started Mullen yeah. and Jalen should be starting. And, there yeah. was, and, and in fairness, Travis Best played really well in this game. And he was kind of a menace in the third and fourth I mean, quarter. honestly, I probably would have benched Reggie Miller. But I, I just... Yeah. I would have had him on the floor, and they clearly didn't really have a two-way answer for him. And I thought he was eating up Sprewell. I really, I thought that was one of the reasons Sprewell had such a bad game. What's interesting, he only took 60 shots the whole series in six games, which is nuts to me. Because I thought he was their best offensive player. The next year, they make the legend makes up for it, and they almost make the finals. He rides Reggie and Jalen together. Yep. And that team comes pretty close. Was Mark Jackson on that team the next year? Because I feel like there's like a ball dominance happening with Mark Jackson too, where he's not flowing. And like Jalen was better, I always felt like, with the ball in his hands. And if he doesn't have as much ball dominance, then because like Mark Jackson is playing like 38 minutes a game and just pounding the rock all the time. I mean, the move probably, if you're doing this team over again, you play Jalen at point with Reggie Miller. You put Mullen out there for shooting. You have uh, Sam Perkins and then probably like McKee. Yep. And that's like or Smith, Smith, or yeah. Smith as a stretch five, best unintentional comedy moment. Bill Walton's raving about San Antonio's three point shooting at one point. That was weird. They're going to the West Bracket, and he's like San Antonio, Duncan and Robinson, and uh, the great three point shooting, Jaron Jackson and Steve Kerr. <laughs> yeah, and I looked it up, and they took eleven point eight three threes a game that year, and made made four a game. He's raving about them like they're. That was amazing at like the, the time. Like the 2006 Suns. I mean, like, threes were just an extreme rarity at this time. It was know? funny to hear how excited the announcers got at Tom Hammond every time somebody took a three. It's Chris Childs for three! 
and now it's like if you had that intensity now, you'd be you'd be dead. Uh, probably unanswerable questions. I have two. What is the line on the 2019 Warriors with a healthy KD against the 1999 Knicks? Oh my God! <laughs> they come out of a time machine. And the Knicks like, yeah, we're going to play this team for the future. The what, what are the rules? What rules? Is it See, modern rules or, or 90s rules? Good question. Three, no, it's just three-pointers. It's the same rules. It's just they're, they're bringing in their style. So but the, yeah, so you'd have the old 99 rules. So you'd have... Okay, they come to 1999. 1999 right. doesn't so go to So you'd have no 14-second reset right, right. and Hand no check and no, no illegal events, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, I, they, I mean, the Warriors smoked the Knicks. <laughs> Counterpoint. Does Chris Childs put his fucking elbow in Steph Curry's right. spine and yeah. hurt him? So you think they're just super... So the Draymond gets thrown out in like a minute and a half? Yes. Well, no, no. He'd stay in the game. He he would oh. be the most effective player He'd be the, in the guy game. who could actually hang with yes. him. Yes. Yeah. I was surprised they had flagrant fouls but in this Kurt game. But when Kurt Thomas is setting a screen and like obliterating Clay Thompson... Right. That, that, that could be in the Knicks' favor. So it'd you're be a saying, different style so, of play. So if I'm giving you 20 points, you're taking I'll, Knicks I'll, plus I'll 20? I'll take the Knicks plus 20. I think the Warriors win by like 45. I, I do too, but I think that like, you know, Steph Curry's ankle is like completely ruined after this game. Yeah. So so the Warriors win by 40, but three guys have but, career. Yeah, we need like, to destroy three guys so we just get a lot of Quinn Cook. Yeah. If we can get down to Quinn Cook in the rotation. Right, chop them down. Cook, Livingston, <laughs> you know who else? Iggy. We can handle those guys. So you have Childs covering Curry. <laughs> You yeah. have who's covering Kevin Durant, Larry Johnson? Oh my God! Yeah, that's rough. That's pretty. <laughs> that's, that's pretty dark. That's a matchup problem. <laughs> Ewing all the way Houston out of the clay. Yeah, right Houston's like, who is this guy? You <laughs> can like, shoot threes like what this. What is this? <laughs> that's pretty dark. Um, uh, and then the other unanswerable is just like the Ewing theory. So I wrote this piece for my old website. <laughs> we know and, about this piece. <laughs> well, it was this guy. It wasn't my theory. It was this reader, Dave Cirilli. Yeah. And it was after this game, and he was. And he was like, oh, no, it was before this game. It was after Ewing got hurt, but before this game. And he's like, I've had this theory since college that when Patrick Ewing's on the bench, his teams play better. Watch the Knicks take off here. And I ran this theory in the thing. And then all of a sudden it actually happened and they made the finals. And that was how the Ewing theory was born. It wasn't really fair to Ewing. It was more the phenomenon mm -hmm. of this mm -hmm. guy gets hurt. And then when he gets hurt, for some reason, the guys play better. But it is in print, and then it did happen. So then in 2001, I went to page two, and I wrote the, I rewrote the Ewing Theory column for page two. And my first example of who this could happen to was Drew Bledsoe. And then Tom Brady came yeah. in for Drew Bledsoe, won the Super Bowl. It was amazing. What if the actual sliding doors moment is you're using the Ewing? Are we even sitting here without the Ewing Theory? Is there a Grantland? Is there a ringer without the Ewing Kyle, Theory? Where Kyle, where's Kyle? <laughs> this is crazy. Cutting grass, I, that's where. <laughs> That's the real sliding doors moment. No. Double sliding doors. Uh, who won the game? I mean, gotta be LJ. Yeah, LJ. That's the legend. And the and the Knicks MSG network for having a moment to repackage. Oh yeah. In those interstitials between commercials, where they have Johnny Mac and Matthew Modine come out and say, "Here it is, June fifth, nineteen ninety nine." Nicks down and and you know allow you to think that oh man the garden what a place to be. There was footage I had never seen before. They showed Ewing after they beat the Pacers in '94, where he's celebrating yeah, the game's not him. over yet, and he's going basically into the stands and yeah, he's yeah. hugging John Thompson, hugging and, John Thompson. Yeah, he so. hugged John Thompson. I was like, wow, Ewing from Game One. You mean? From, no, isn't I'm that saying from Game One or from the, from Game Three. 
from game three, they showed the old Pacers footage of him. Oh, oh yeah. Of him basically like losing his mind because they were about to beat the Pacers. I'd never seen him that emotional. It was great. If you listen, as an MSG uh, subscriber on Cablevision on Long Island, I got to see those moments. I got to say, I, 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 uh, I'm a Ewing supporter. I liked Ewing. I think he, he I think he was a wonderful player. player. Wonderful player. Born in the wrong era guy where you play four years in college versus like he could have just been in the NBA. Mm -hmm. And then he just by fluke is in the league with just all these Hall of Fame centers. But mm -hmm. also like in fairness, coached into greatness, I think by Thompson in a lot of ways. Perfect coach for him. Who And he was really raw when he went to college. And yeah. then found ways to dominate. And I think he also famously not the most confident guy in the world. And as he dominated at Georgetown, gain confidence, gain confidence, gain confidence. So it's tricky because if you put him in right away, does he become one of those guys who goes straight to the pros and mm -hmm. then kind of washes out? Like, is he like Jonathan Bender or something? Because So I, I was living in Boston. He, the, he was, I think, one of the greatest high school players of all time. Mm -hmm. I, I don't, I think he was a can't miss because he was like local stories about like this, the next Bill Russell is playing here in Cambridge and they would just, he would have 15 blocks in a game and. I don't know. I think. I mean, he just he ran the sad into thing the for greatest me. player of all time. Yeah, and and never had again, never had that co-star. You look at Elijah Wan. You look True. at David Robinson. They all had these other players that they could count on. Whether it was Cassell or Tim Duncan later in his career, they you know they traded Bernard King when Bernard King had that injury, and then he went on to have like a nice couple of nice True. seasons with the Bullets. He did. Yeah. yeah. They never paired him with an all with a true all star until it was way 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 too. Late. I also feel like. He was just not the same guy ever in the NBA as he was in college athletically. I think his knees, mm -hmm. even as a rookie, I think his legs at that point were probably like 80, 85% of what they were like those first couple Georgetown years. But he did evolve as a player. I mean, oh, he, he developed into an incredible jump shooter for a big man. I'm just talking athletically, period. Right. Yeah. Like, right. I really wish that Ewing had been in the league for mm -hmm. a couple of years because there was really never, I've never seen a center like that. I didn't get to see Bill Russell. Right. I've never seen somebody just dem like he had i think four goaltendings in the first half of the Villanova game yeah. and they were like how did he block that goaltendings mm -hmm. yeah. where it's like yeah. is that a goaltending he was 7 feet above the rim yeah. is that can we even count that uh thanks for doing this Sean Fantasy thanks for doing this Jason Thank Concepcion you. Thank you, Bill. thanks for listening to the Book of Basketball podcast we'll be back with more <laughs>